Hey everybody, it is Richard Harrison. Scott Lee's here with another exciting episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast. Scott, how are you doing? Oh, that's right. Scott's running late. So, oh well, Scott will join as soon as we can. Um, you know, as much as he likes to give me crap about being on mute all the time, I guess I get to give him a little shit for running late today. So, uh, First, I want to give a big prop and shout out to our friends over at HubSpot and the HubSpot Podcast Network. Um, aside from us, they've got a ton of great other sales and marketing and all kinds of um, podcasts available. So please go check them out. But what's really cool is in September, uh, they have Inbound. This is their annual Inbound conference. It's in person and inbound, which is really nice. Uh, brings together leaders across the business, sales, marketing, customer success, ops, and more. Uh, it's got amazing content. Um, there's going to be a lot of talent. There's going to be a lot of fun people there too. Uh, Angie Huberman, Stephen Bartlett, uh, Guy Raz, Morgan Debon, Kim Scott, Dr. Yvette Knoll. Uh, sure, I hope I pronounced that name right, Yvette. Uh, also, Reese Witherspoon and Derek Jeter um, will be there and a good friend of ours, Sam Jacobs. So if you haven't gone to check it out, be sure they've got general admission passes. It's access to all in-person speakers, trainings, and programming. Uh, they do have some VIP uh, still available. Uh, there's a special welcome party with music and cocktails, and they've got a VIP lounge where you can chill. I don't know if Jeter will be there, but um, I'd certainly go check it out and make sure that I try. So please be sure to uh, go check out HubSpot, uh, the HubSpot Podcasting Network, and of course, Inbound. Um, it should be another amazing, amazing conference in the sales community and sales industry. Without further ado, because my co-host isn't here, uh, I want to introduce our guest, and he's got some fun stuff to tell. Uh, his name is Adam Goyette. Um, he's a marketing advisor and founder of Curids.co. I'll let him tell us more about that. He was a VP at Help Scout, and I think this is where I first met you. You led all growth marketing over at G2 back in the day. Um, so welcome, Adam. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So, you know, Scott, Scott invited me, and we, we chatted previously, and then he bails on the on the actual episode here. So <laughs> Classic Scott Lee. So, you know, anyway, no, I, I know what's up with Scott. He's okay. We love him, and we love to give him shit. It's like the same thing. So. What is what is curids.co? Tell people what that's about. Yeah, curtis.co. Uh, sorry, I put a typo in the, that there. Uh, so it's Curtis. Um, so it's my uh, advising company. So I left uh, Help Scout after I was there full time for about two and a half years leading the marketing team. Uh, in that time, we grew from, you know, five to 25 people. Uh, and what I realized is I really love kind of the building phase uh, and helping companies figure out what are the patterns. Once it gets to the point where there's some repetition to it and it's more managing it, um, you become less of a marketer and more of just a people manager, um, which I enjoyed for a while. But then I was like, I like actually marketing uh, more than I like managing people. And so I uh, started advising full-time about a year ago. Uh, last June, I, I went out on my own in it full-time and I've been doing it since. So, so talk about that for a second, because I, I, I'm like that guy too. Like, I think I'm the zero to 10 or 15 million guy, right? Yeah. Um, and probably along the way, I got frustrated thinking, why do they keep hiring someone above me? Um, but now I know that was my specialty, right? Like that was for whatever reason, it fell in that way. Talk to us a little bit about 
what that means to do marketing at the early stage versus, I mean, I think we understand managing people, but what's it mean in, in Adam's mind when he thinks about that? Yeah. Um, so I think the biggest difference is um, there's more things at play at a later stage company. So I can't just go out and roll out a campaign and do something really fast uh, because there's system issues, right? I have to go through uh, the sales ops person to make sure all the leads are going to get tagged and go to the correct person on the 100 person sales team. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of considerations. Um, whereas at an early stage startup, you don't have a lot of those. And so it's very freeing as a marketer, because I think you get uh, the big thing you want to focus in on there is speed, like how quickly you don't know what works. Uh, and everything is an option. You could be doing TikTok, you could be doing LinkedIn ads, search ads. Um, but the reality is you can't do everything because you have limited resources. So you have to be very focused and you have to move with speed to quickly try to find those things you can so, then scale up. So that makes sense, like logically. But let, let's say, you know, you're going into an early stage startup um, and you you pick the size. Okay, they're, they've got zero customers. They've got 25 customers, whatever, right? You define it. What are those first tactics? It sounds like you like the tactics, like just getting yeah. in there and getting your hands dirty, which is very much like me. I don't yeah. like the process and the politics. Um what are those things for those who are listening to think about, okay, at an earlier stage, you can get away with doing it this way and you can't do it at a bigger stage, which is okay that you can't, right? Like there's, you know, you're yeah. trying to do business, but what are some of those specific things you like to tell people to try and focus on early on? So I think one of the big things where I see a lot of companies get wrong the first time, uh, especially early stage, is their messaging and positioning, right? A lot of times it's the founder and it's based off of what he thinks it's going to resonate. Uh, and the reality of the actual buyer is very different of how they talk about it. And so I'm a big fan of like very quickly trying to get that in a healthier spot um, because that impacts so much from your sales conversations to your marketing conversions, all that sort of stuff. So uh, one of the big things uh, like, I use a tool called Winter all the time. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a great tool. So you can do like homepage message messaging and you can get feedback from your persona of like, you know, up to 20, 40 people, um, really valuable feedback mm -hmm. with like 24, 48 hours. Uh, and so I think the biggest thing is like the messaging usually is way so what is? Yeah, so I do this too, right? I, I help companies do this. Um, and unfortunately, we're going we're gonna to have a whole segment of... Um, why we love to hate Scott Lease because he just said he's not feeling well. So, you know, um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll make fun of Scott while he's not here. Um, so what is that piece? Because I run into this too, right? Where it's like, it's my precious baby and I have an answer. I'm curious to what your answer is. And you have to convince them that it's not about the baby, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, it's bigger than that, right? It's about the human, so to speak. So let's say I came in and I said, you know, I've got the best AI tool to help with sales reps find more leads, right? And I've built this fabulous tool and here I am, a, a you know, a, a tech founder, no sales experience, right? Other than maybe selling my VC. How do you morph my, help me morph my message? Yeah, I think one of the things is that's too surface level, right? So go a layer deeper. So one of the one of the easiest things to do is look at the landscape you're competing in and who you're selling to. If you're selling to a salesperson, it's like you're promising the salesperson they can get more leads, uh, more deals, more revenue. Everyone who's selling to sales leaders is promising that same thing. The same way mm -hmm. anyone who's selling to marketers, like we help you get more leads. It's like, okay, great. You and 
every other platform out there. So that's not really a distinguishing characteristic. Um, and I think one, so I think you have to go a layer deeper of like, why do they care about getting more leads? Like, what is the impact of that for them in their day-to-day -day life? And then I think a lot of times people get up, get caught up in um, basically what the mission of the company is, doesn't, it can still be the mission of the company, but it doesn't mm -hmm. translate to the messaging uh, on the website, right? And so, and mm -hmm. I think the messaging varies depending on a lot of different things. So the messaging on the website is different than the messaging your sales team's going out with probably. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. There's different variations because that's the journey of the buyer. And so mm -hmm. I think you have to take it from their perspective, not yours. And so, you know, I think one of the big things I'll do with founders is just show them, here's your 10 competitors in your space. Here's how they're positioning it. Um, how are, do you sound any different? I'm already, so, cause I think a big part of what you need to do early on at those companies is it's not just about finding the right person. I can go and get lead lists and do all these kinds of things to say like, mm -hmm. here's the persona, here's the list of, you know, a thousand VC backed companies that just raised around this year. And here's their VP of marketing list. That's not hard to get. The hard thing is getting their attention. And that's right. like the name of the game early on in marketing is like, how do you just cut through the noise? Because everyone is selling to everyone, right? At this point, mm -hmm. I think there's 12,000 mm -hmm. MarTech tools or whatever it is. So like all those vendors are all trying to sell to your VP of marketing. So how do you actually stand out? How do you actually differentiate yeah. yourself from messaging? Yeah, I, I love what you said too. Is it's about, you have to explain to them why they should care about you. Yeah. Um, and, and it's about why they should care and why they should care about you. Yeah. Um, like I think that, you know, I... When I talk about it, I'm curious to your feedback. Give me some feedback. People ask me to help with this messaging stuff. And I say, great, well, paint me a picture of pain. Yep. Right? And, and I will ask, you know, you, you'll probably get this because you're smarter than salespeople. You're in marketing. Um, you know, I'll tell people to think about a headache commercial, whether it's on TV or in print. And what's the first image that pops in their mind? What's the first image that pops in your mind, Adam? Of the headache commercial? Yeah. Um... And someone just holding on to their head. Right. Down like That's this. it. Right. So he's, he's covering his eyes and, and bending his head down everybody. Um, and that, that's exactly it. That's a picture of pain. And yep. we buy that picture because we have that pain. Yep. Right. It's, you know, the sniffling, sneezing, coughing, aching head, stuffy head. So you could rest medicine, right? That's NyQuil. Yeah. We've all had that. <laughs> we, yep. We've all felt that. And so for me, I'm trying to get people to paint the picture of pain yeah. and, and particularly to your point and, and, you know, in the example I gave of lead gen and finding leads, like, boy, you know, nobody cares what you do. They only care what pain you can solve. Yeah. That's, um, a, that's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so I, I articulate it that way, but I love what you said too, about why they should care and why they should care about you. Um, is there a, is there a standard aha moment where the marketing team you're working with or the founder kind of goes, oh, I get it, Adam, now. Now I get it, right? You know, is, the, is there some sort of pinnacle moment that you can point to in a generic way? Uh, I wish there was like a, if I had that answer, I would do it all the, <laughs> do it on the first call every single time. Uh, so it's a little bit different for every person, right? Of when they come around that. Some people come in saying like, yeah, we know, our messaging is horrible and we're not tied to it. Right. Like right. The founder will say like, just help me. Like, well, I want right. revenue. Right. Like I don't, uh, so 
position, however, we think that'll help drive that. Uh, and other people, like you said, it's like, this is my baby. This is my vision kind of, of like what the company is going to do and how we're going to change X. And as a buyer, like, I don't care how you're changing X. And so a lot of times with them, I think a big example I do is like, kind of like painting the picture. I ask them questions of like, well, tell me the last software you buy. You bought. Mm -hmm. Walk me through that process. What did you Google to start with? How did you actually like find out who, who you should be reaching out to? And usually it's like, oh, you didn't Google like uh, a company that's changing lead generation forever, right? Like you Googled like, how do I generate more leads, uh, you know, for a sales team or right. whatever you started with, which is to your point, the pain. And then who actually did you end up leaning on and, and, and reaching out to? And a lot of times, surprise, surprise, it's your network that I'm reaching out to of like, hey, Richard, what are you using? Uh, and it's people I just know and I put that in quotes, I've never met them, um, but whose brands I know, because I see them on LinkedIn, I see them mm -hmm. on Twitter, and, mm -hmm. and that's where you just make the short list. I, the example I used to give before would be like, if you're in marketing and you're buying a chatbot, name me the chatbot you're definitely going to talk to. And everyone always says Drift or Intercom, and right. they've even if they've never used it. And it's just because they did an amazing job of building on a brand and just, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think uh, you know, and I think all the big, you know, HubSpot's done a great piece with that. Like they, they put out content. Gong was really good at is really good at that, right? Um, Chris and and more specifically, Chris Orlov is very good at it. Who I'm sure yeah. you know from the same mantras and stuff. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, I that that first time founder, often a tech founder, um, you know, they, they they it's hard to get them to get out of their own way. And I yep. love what you did. <laughs> like you're the first marketing person I think I've ever talked to who's actually did discovery and sold them on what they need to do. So kudos, kudos to marketing for this episode. Uh, you know, corporate. Yep. I did at one point manage a 40 person sales team kind of by accident. So I have a little, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, we're going to dig into that. Okay. Well, we're going to go there in a second. So, um, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for, for exploring that. Um, I, I appreciate it. And uh, it's, it, you got to, I mean, at least for me, it's, it's fun being the consultant because then people just pay you for your opinions. Right. And, um, you know, the, you know, the answer is, well, even if I'm wrong, it got you closer to being right. So therefore I'm right. So that's the best part of being a consultant. Um, all right. So let's, you, you totally pivoted on us. Like let's, let's dig in. And, and then, um, uh, and then, cause I do want to come talk to you about brand, right. That's a piece of how you're here. Um, but first, I want to get, so you you managed a sales team. Where did you do that? Like, how did, you, how did someone in marketing start managing a 40 person sales team? Yeah. So I worked at a company called Thrive. Um, and so they were the old Dex Media Yellow Page company. They sold phone books. And they're, mm -hmm. shocker, still a like billion dollar company just from phone books. Uh, but it's a melting iceberg, obviously, because it's a phone book. Uh, and so they lose 20% of their revenue probably every single year from that channel. Uh, and so mm -hmm. it's amazing customer base of small businesses. Uh, Plumber is like 500,000 customers and they're trying to transition them over to uh, the software they have, which is Thrive. And so I came in to help build out their inbound marketing um, for, for Thrive, the software. I had nothing to do with kind of the phone book side of the business. Um, and so it's kind of almost a startup within this big billion dollar company. And, and in that, we would start running inbound marketing plays and, and generating leads. And we are sending them out to a very traditional old school sales team, right? They still had premise mm -hmm. sales reps just out in the field. If I submit a form online 
and it's going to someone who's out in down on Main Street for the day, going door to door uh, at small businesses, they're getting to that lead maybe the next night. And obviously it just didn't work. Right. And so um, I convinced them to say, like, let's just build a pilot team here. Uh, you know, four people let me hire and I'll just route the leads to them and I'll show you the, the increase in conversion. And then sure enough, we like 4X conversion because we had like a traditional like SaaS sales model now. Uh, and so uh, it, it was working well. And so we, we ended up scaling the team pretty quickly uh, and we grew it to about 40 people. I hired a sales manager to come in and manage like the day-to-day -day of the team. But early on, yeah, it was just me kind of so running. So tell me, um, I'm going to have you speak while I go shut a door because my dogs are talking, but I'll hear it. Tell me what you, what was, what was the advantage or something different or something unique about coming from this marketing perspective first in order as you started to manage a sales team, right? Because it, it you know, I see it a lot with that SDR, the inbounds and that kind of stuff, but I'm curious, like, wh what were some of the things that just were like, oh shit, nobody told me that was going to happen. Or, hey, these guys aren't as bad as I thought they were. Or like, you know, provide that perspective because I don't think we ever get to hear that. Yeah, um, I think the the perspective there of coming in is, I think a lot of times sales get set up for failure because they get left in the dark a lot. And so for me, it was, uh, you know, in my past, I always worked closely with sales teams um, and definitely never had that kind of combative relationship you hear about a lot about sales and marketing. Uh, my dad was a VP of sales. So, um, and so like, I, I just never had that. And so, but I was shocked at how little information they were getting uh, on like campaigns and things that were running. And so for me, it's like, once I started just explaining, well, here's why these leads convert less and we're okay with that. We expect them to convert less because they cost less and we know it's more of a volume game, right? Because at the end of the day, it's really like a financial model to say like, are we acquiring customers uh, in a way that's sustainable and makes us money? And there's a threshold there. And if I can get a lead for $100 and they convert one out of every two, I'm now looking at a $200 conversion uh, you know, into a customer. If I'm getting them for $10, um, I don't need them to convert at 50%. I'm okay with them converting at 5% because I'm spending so much less. And so educating the sales team about here's the campaigns we're running, here's why, here's what the expectations are. Like there was like, they were just so much more engaged and so much more like, oh yeah, I know why I'm doing this versus in the past, I felt like there's an area where sales is like, what the fuck are we getting these leads for, <laughs> right? Like there's like, why are we sending this? This is this sucks compared to this. And it's like, because they don't have the full context and it's not because a lack of like effort, just nobody sits down to explain from marketing. Like because sales leaders are terrible like this. I say this all the time. And you know, it's so often marketing is ahead of the curve when it comes to sales and revenue, but for whatever reason, you know, I'll blame the sales leaders for our egos. We don't want to hear it, or we don't have the patience to sit down and hear what you just explained. And yep. it's interesting because, you know, you explain the why, which is part of what I do in my training. Like, well, why do I teach this? Because it helps do that. And I think to your point, that increases engagement and buy-in and all those things. And it's, it's interesting because so far it's a common theme for you. Like, why should they care? Why should they care about you? Well, yep. that goes to your the, your, the people who are your customers, Adam's customers, right? To teach the marketing message. It's the same thing with the sales team. Why should they care? Why should they care about Adam? And so I think this is for all the sales leaders and all the sales reps who are out there. 
please go take this last two or three minutes of what Adam said and, and play it for your sales leaders, right? And, or replay it for yourself. Cause I think this is really important. The why matters as much as anything else, right? Which, you know, we all know Simon Sinek and we all know that stuff, but it's, it's nice to hear it in, in this sort of frame of a marketing and sales approach um, that, that combines. Um, do you feel like you had good relationships as a marketer with your sales leaders, your counterparts? Yeah, yeah, I always had and, great. And please say no because we want to hear the stories of hatred. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, I always had great relationships with with sales leaders. Uh, I think for me, it always came down to one thing usually, which is like I I want to know um, because I, like what's happening to a lead when I pass it over. Um, and there was a point in my career where I was much younger and I didn't care. And it was more like, oh, we hit our lead number. Woohoo. Right. Like, and it was that. And then it was like, well, what's happening? Um, and I remember like a meeting with the CFO where it was like, well, you should care about that, shouldn't you? Like, we just spent all this money and like, what's going on with the leads? And so I ended up spending tons of time digging into how quickly are we following up with them? What is what does the actual BDR cadence look like? And trying to understand that not from like a negative standpoint of like trying to judge it, but I want to know like, what is that playbook that's running on the other half? Because at the end of the day, if you can drive revenue and marketing, no one cares. Like no one's, no one wants to know the attribution split when it's like, oh, we're 30% over the target. Everyone's just like amazing, right? Like that only comes out when you're, when you're behind the number. And so I've mm -hmm. always wanted that feedback from sales too, because it's like, that's what I'm going to get measured and judged on at the end of the day is revenue. And so if I can get feedback from them to make my campaigns better, that's amazing. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I always hear this attribution conversation and I've been touting this for years and there's that, I don't know. Did you read the new uh, post? Well, it wasn't a post, but I think it was a report. One of the VCs about, you know, 18% of the revenue is coming from SDRs outbound and 49% is coming from market. Have you, do you know that story that came out? I in the that, no, no. Yeah. There's go, go, Google it. Um, think uh, or follow Doug Landis. You know Doug, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. He he wrote about it on LinkedIn, and so it's it's a great piece. But it's always so funny because there's this constant collision between first touch attribution, which really is about compensation. That's all that's about. Yep. Right. And. Then this theory of, well, it takes 16 touches to get someone to buy from you. Well, it's like, well, then if it takes 16, shut the up and double pay people, right? Figure out a way, stop being greedy. Um, yes, you gotta be smart as a business and figure out ways to do that, but you know, it's different. Um, Cause I always find those two things as conflicting and yet nobody wants to admit it yeah. uh, or they yeah. admit it, but then they don't want to solve it. Yeah. So, so question for you, um, Let's, let's shift a little bit to brand. How important is personal brand in your mind? Yeah, uh, I think it's incredibly important. Uh, and it's one of the things, especially with like founders, I, I preach to a lot. Um, and I'll give you two examples. Um, one is the one you just mentioned, which is Gong. When you mm -hmm. mentioned Gong to me as a marketer, I've used the product, uh, but, I, and, but I immediately think of Udi, their CMO. That's like yeah. what... It, that's their brand to me is that person, right? And it's like, or Chris, like you said, um, mm -hmm. I think when you think about uh, selling to people, how much easier is it when I know the person who's in charge over there, or I know a lot more about that company and how they operate and some of the data they share and all this, this stuff. I've never actually, like if I was going out to buy a product of like, of course, they're going to be shortlisted on that, on that category, right? And so to me, it's super important for those reasons. Um, 
And then I think number two is when you think about all the other things that you're going to be doing, how much easier does having a brand uh, that people like and know going to make your ad campaigns, right? Like how more likely am I going to be if I already know the company and I see their ad and I'm in market, uh, how more likely am I going to be to respond to someone who reaches out from Gong, uh, who's an SDR or, you know, whoever it might be, a, a marketing person when they're trying to get me on a webinar, uh, like I know the brand, right? And so there, mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of raises all boats to me. And, and so I think it, it's super important, especially for early stage companies. Did you, you know, and, and again, this is, this is one of the reasons that so many people, one side hustles work, right? We know that. Um, but I also think it's one of the reasons why some of these side hustles have happened, right? I, I'm different than a lot of people, but people are promoting on their brand, right? Yep. Chris Willis is an example. You're an example of that. I'm an example. Like this entire podcast, the entire event of Surf and Sales is built solely upon Scott, Lee, and I promoting the crap out of it on LinkedIn and trying to put out good content. Like, I mean, it's the content that matters first, right? Yeah. Um, but we've driven, you know, there's no, we've driven a million dollars in gross revenue from coming up with this stupid idea, walking off the beach one day in 2017 in Costa Rica, right? Like, just like, and we had already started building our brand. And so then we just, it just kind of kept growing. Yeah. How do you, how do you, so now you're a consultant, right? Yeah. And you're a marketer. So are you going what I would call the traditional market of, okay, I'm going to do some SEM and some SEO and some PPC, or are you just doing what a lot of us are doing, which is I'm just posting good content on LinkedIn and I'm leveraging my network and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I don't do any traditional marketing. Um, I like, uh, I think like my biggest thing is, so I've been doing it for a year. Uh, I did some, like you said, as like a side hustle kind of prior to that. And a hundred percent of the people I work with are all inbound. Um, in fact, right. I really have like an overflow of people coming into me. Um, and I've referred people to other people because it's like, I can't handle all of it. Okay. All right, Adam, sales tip 101. When you have too much work, do you know what you do? <laughs> Hire. <laughs> What's that? Hire people. <laughs> no, you raise your prices. Yes. Every new person who comes in, you take it up five or 10%. If you're turning away business, then you're not charging enough for your time. Right? Yeah. And that's a really important piece. So that is my advice to you. All so right. The next time someone comes in and you know you can't take the business, tell them it's 25% more. Just see what they say. Yeah. You know, well, if you can't afford it, well, here's a good, here's a good friend of mine. Yeah. Right. Yep. Because I think it'll blow your mind when you be people will be like, okay, like it really is. It's scary. I have raised, I have raised my prices uh, already this this year because I got similar feedback before. And then yes, to your to your point, I was shocked that like, this was like, yeah, no, great, it's amazing, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, so, um, you, know, you could raise your prices and hire more and start to scale. I get it. Yeah. Like Scott's done that. Um, I haven't, but it's because I didn't want to manage people. Uh, yeah, exactly. So that, yeah, so I'm I'm happy where I where I'm at. Uh, but I think back to your question of the brand, all of my stuff has been inbound, and it's right. you know it's because people have seen me talk on podcasts, they've seen me talk at events, they've you mm-hmm. know I post on LinkedIn and engage with me, and then once that gets you to a certain extent, I, what I found, and then a lot of it is then the brand of from my clients, right, mm-hmm. of like people I've worked with who mm-hmm. are like 
should, you should work with this person. He's awesome, right? Like the tech right. world's not that big and like founders and VCs and executives, you're one connection away from almost any single person, right? Yep. Um, and so like the backdooring uh, of like information, I feel like is a huge part of it. And so for me, yep. like my reputation uh, of like being the product uh, matters a ton of like, am I giving a good experience? It's no yeah. different. You had bad reviews on G2. Um, you know, if people think badly about the product, because most people, when they come into me, they've asked already like another founder I've worked with or a VC that knows me or whoever to like, Hey, yeah. is he legit? Because there's lots of people who are posting lots on LinkedIn who are not legit. As <laughs> you, you might be shocked to hear yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really like it. So, well, I, it's funny because I actually wrote this rant yesterday. Um, specifically blaming LinkedIn for their horrible experience on LinkedIn. All that, yes. <laughs> and it's, and it's you know, I'm not kidding. Like I scroll through 10 posts and three or four or five of them are actually ads. They're promoted. Yep. Oh my God. Someone, and someone commented, well, gosh, Richard, you know, it's all the bad fluff. I'm like, I don't even see the bad fluff. In fact, I love the bad fluff because, you know, me, I'll comment on it. I'll be like, oh, hold on. That's a terrible idea. And here's why. Right. So, so anyway, so yeah, I, I agree. Just, just out of curiosity, did you ever, and if you went back to a traditional role, would you now start to teach your sales team how to build a brand as part of their job? Uh, I definitely would. I think anyone, no matter where they are in the company, should be building their brand online, right? And so, mm -hmm. uh, so if you're in sales, it just makes personal sense, right? <laughs> because it's so much easier, uh, yeah. no matter what you want to do. Uh, yeah. You never have to try to monetize it or do anything, but like, Having a level, and it's not even about like, I need to get to 100,000 followers. It's more about like, are you connecting with the right people? Um, are you building relationships with people? Like I can think of so many people I just know through social media because they saw a yeah. post, engaged with me, and now we've met and talked and all this stuff. So to me, it makes getting another job easier. Like it, it, just, it makes hiring easier. Like the amount yeah. of people I was just able to just interview from impressive companies when we were building out the team at Help Scout, it was easy. Um, and I just would pinging my people myself and I, you know, a recruiting yeah. probably had a much harder time. And so like, to me, it makes everything. And then if you do want to go into starting your own thing, it makes that easier. So any, there's no reason not to do it. Like I can't think of a bad reason. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, sometimes the company's ego doesn't like it. Like I, you know, my, I go in and I teach this stuff and I tell every person and it, you know, I kind of don't tell the head of sales or the founders there. I'm like, your job is to make your personal brand bigger than your company's brand. Yep. Your job is to make them so annoyed by it so that when they get annoyed, you can say, yeah, but I represent you. Look what I'm doing. Look yep. at how I'm doing things, right? And and it gets really, you know, it's always interesting when that conversation comes up. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you supported and um, be an interesting, it'd be an interesting thing to, to talk more about, but I got I to gotta do a quick pause. Um, then we're going to come back and uh, you can ask me some questions and or, um, you know, tell me your favorite and, and least favorite thing about Scott Lee's. Like, let's give Scott some advice. What's a, one piece of advice we give Scott since he's not here? So you think about that. Need to go talk for a second about uh, my really, really good friend, John Barrows, who Adam, I think you probably know um, or know of, who has the Make It Happen Monday podcast that's also on the HubSpot podcast network. Uh, if you don't know John, I'd be shocked in this world, at least in this SAP startup world that many of us swim in. He is a brilliant sales leader, sales trainer, has great opinions, 
has amazing episodes with um, great people like Dr. Howard Dover. If you haven't talked to or listened to Dr. Dover, um, you know, he teaches sales at University of Texas in Dallas. Uh, yeah, there's actually a sales degree. Um, and he's also a good friend of ours, but um, he it's a great episode that John did with Dr. Dover recently. So check that out. Also, if you like, um, you know, Scott and John and I, we've done some podcasts together uh, and apart. So feel free. Uh, John and I usually purposely try to get into it and go at each other a little bit, sort of Boston versus Richard's um, snarky more loudly than normal Southern voice. So we like to get into it on topics. Uh, so check check out John at the Make It Happen Monday podcast. Adam, back to you. Uh, what's a piece of advice we should give Scott Lee since he's not here? I, I think where's the GTM United swag store? Oh, sweet. Which is so <laughs> funny because I'm glad you brought that up because you talked earlier about, well, how do people find people, right? You know, you know, Scott, Scott's going down this path that it's not, you know, it's not a, a GTM market. It's a GTN market. It's a go-to network, not a go-to market strategy. So I agree. Where is the swag store, Scott, please? So, uh, well, that's a good one. I, I like that. Uh, are you part of GTM? I am, yeah. You are? Cool. Yep. What do you, you know, we'll give Scott a shameless plug. What do you like about it? Like, what's, what's cool in there? People don't know Scott's built a great community. It's another one. Um, where you get tons of free advice and actionable items and trainings and live sessions and stuff. So what do you like about it? Yeah. Uh, so I think I'll tell you what I don't like about communities first. <laughs> a lot Ooh, of them. Yes. Communities. Uh, and then basically it becomes a platform for people just plugging stuff. Right. And it's not about like helping the other person or like engaging. It just turns into it's like mismanaged. Everyone thinks just getting people there is the end result. Well, you have to make in engaging. And so I think like the best communities I'm a part of, uh, it just feels like I'm part of a company almost. And I have access to all these people on Slack or whatever, wherever you're building the community and I can just chat with anyone. I'm in lots of marketing communities. Some are like that, where it's super interesting topics, talking about tech. Hey, what tool are you guys using for this? Uh, and, and that's where I think the huge value is. Um, and so, yeah, I think what I like about uh, what he's building is it's way more of that, right? And it, it's yeah. the quality of people are good. He's, uh, he's always not. been that way. Like I've known the guy for 12 plus, you know, 15 years now, holy cow. And he's always built that way. I always used to tease him that he always had his disciples. He had, he's, he's like a Pied Piper and it's, yeah. it's jokingly true. Um, I interviewed his mom once um, for the podcast and, uh, and she, you know, without me even asking, confirmed that everybody liked to just come to Scott's house. Like that was just the place to hang out. So um, anyway, well, that, that's, that's good advice for Scott. I, I appreciate it. Yes, Scott, where's our swag? And, and certainly, certainly Adam should get free, but I, Richard Harris should certainly have some GTM swag, but who knows, you know, he's, he's a little, he's a little, um, Expense wary, I should say. How's that? For... <laughs> that was a very delicate way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Adam, what, what can I answer for you? This is that part where we sort of turn things around and we sort of let the guests ask a question of us. And since there's yeah, a... <laughs> I I think like um, you mentioned the relationship between sales and marketing. Uh, I'm curious because I, I see so many companies and people now talking about like marketing needs to be measured on revenue. Uh, and obviously I can only see the companies I'm involved with, but like from your perspective and, and talking to sales leaders, like has that like impression of marketing shifted that it, it's less about like 
you know, marketing's doing pretty things to more of like, oh, marketing's actually really impacting like revenue. Are you seeing that across companies you're working with that the sales uh, perception of marketing is shifting? Uh, I think in the right companies it is, right? Like I think, let me rephrase that. Not necessarily the right companies. It's not that the other companies are wrong. I'm seeing more of it. Um, and it does come back to this, <clears throat> what does it really mean behind the buzzwords that we're all in the same boat together kind of stuff, right? Which I hate buzzwords. Um, and, it, and it's back to what you said about how do I, you know, it's kind of like sales and marketing leaders should go to lunch once a week. Don't yep. paint a meeting out of it. Don't put it on the calendar. Go to coffee, go to lunch and make it about those things because that's where I think the real piece gets in and, and then that personal side can come in. So I think that's a real big piece. It's getting better. I'm starting to see, this is actually a question for you, is I'm starting to see, you know, when marketing loves to tell how valuable they are at the lead list and they're generating X number of leads, which now they can attribute back to X number of revenue. Well, then why isn't marketing owning that actual revenue number? And they freak the fuck out. Right. Well, no, 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 we can't. Well, you just said you get 49%. What do, you, what do you want me to do? Like, you know, so, and I see more companies doing that. And I see marketing leaders, the really, really good marketing leaders get it. They're like, sure, we'll take it. Yeah, no problem. Right. Um, usually their comps even better too. Right? So yeah. that's, to me, that's the first indicator that it's a really strong relationship. Um, yeah. I don't know. Do you see that too? Do you see? Um, marketing taking on an actual revenue number now more? Yeah, I definitely have. Uh, I owned a revenue number the last two years, last two jobs that I helped scout because um, we had a self-serve motion and we had a sales motion. And so uh, I own basically a, like a pipeline number for sales and a revenue number uh, for the self-serve. So I had kind of two, two, uh, two babies to feed. And then at G2, uh, we measured in demand gen and growth. Our team was only measured off of pipeline dollars. Uh, source right. from marketing and had and so revenue ultimately was better, but like the sales cycles for enterprise and some of those companies were a lot longer. So I think th to your point, when you do that and you measure people marketers the right way, they care about the right thing. So I'm a huge believer of tying whatever it is uh, into a metric that is aligned to a sales outcome or a revenue outcome because then, like we talked about earlier, I actually don't care about the leads. Suddenly, I care about like. Well, what's happening when they come over? And I want that feedback because I'm being measured off of revenue dollar or pipeline dollars or revenue dollars. So like, um, kind of like, I want to know what's happening in that universe. Uh, so what mm -hmm. happens? How quickly are we following up? What are the sales emails going out? And so then it creates a way more collaborative environment uh, between the sales and marketing leader because like I'm measured the same thing you are, Richard. Like we yeah. both hit this goal together. So like let's sit down and figure out like what do we need to do? And that's such a different perspective because it's like, because then it's like you're going to be way more perceptive if I come to you and say like, hey, I actually think marketing can just do a better job on these emails. Why don't you let us create, uh, you know, 20 emails that we can start using in sequences and we'll just have mm -hmm. our copywriter do it. Like mm -hmm. you're not feel territorial about it because you know, uh, like, yeah, that's good for you. It's good for me, you know? So there's just going to be more uh, interactions if you set it up that way. Got it. Question for you. Uh, and, then, and then turn around and ask me another question. But based on that answer, you said, you know, you owned a pipeline number, right? Did that pipeline number come from 
the sales accepted lead, that mindset that sales has to accept it, therefore it has a pipeline. And, and if so, and even if not, how do you build that trust between the teams? Because they're, you know, everybody loves to say, well, I can't control that piece or sales isn't going to put it in the pipeline the right way because they don't want to be held accountable or, you know. Yep. How did, what, how, so where did that number come from? One, was it a sales accepted lead? And if so, or if not, how did you get to that comfort level of that? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I was like the first true demand gen hire or leader they had. So we built that system uh, when I was there. Where was so, this? Just so we have context? At, at G2. At G2. Okay. Yeah. And so I mean, I worked directly uh, with the BDR team and then sales ops and the sales leaders. And so basically what we looked at was, okay, we have leads come in the door. BDR talks to them, they schedule the demo, they qualify them, they schedule the demo. Uh, after the demo, um, basically an opportunity is created or it's not created, it's moved in. So if it's created, we had set packages depending on company size or product size. So then it was right. like, okay, let's assign a pipeline value to it. And so that's what I was measured off of. So they've already talked to BDR and they already talked to sales through a demo. And so like, then it's an opportunity at that point. Um, so that's how we kind of measured it. So there was like two areas I didn't control at all, um, you know, around like the BDR, what happens if, if they're not having good conversations or qualifying or we hire five new ones and it drops our conversion rate? Like, what does that look like? And to, be, to be honest, it, it's less about um, the mix. It's never 50-50, right? It's never going to be an even split. There's going to be some quarters where marketing is not generating as many leads, but we still hit the overall pipeline number because we're doing outbound. We're doing all the other things that are working well, or sometimes marketing over delivers and we hire 10 new BDRs onto the team and the conversion rate drops. And so there's lots of components. And like I said, ultimately, like if you're measuring off of the same thing, it's a team game. And then mm -hmm. like if we hit that number, who cares uh, how it's split? Uh, Cause we achieved. Was it hard for you to give up a piece of your compensation to a part of the process you don't control? Not really, no. Uh, and the reason it's not is like most company bonuses are tied to company performance. Like how much control do you have over the company performance? You know, it's way less there where it's like, you know, it's not just about new revenue. It's about churn. It's about uh, all these other things that sometimes go into company level bonuses. So like, to me, it's like, it's no different than that. Nobody would like scoff at that. So like, to, so I'm okay if part of my compensation is tied into the outcomes uh, of the business. That's interesting. So, and, and again, I think, you know, interestingly enough, the context of me asking the question comes from a sales-minded compensation plan, right? As opposed to um, a marketing-minded where it may not be quite so specific, right? It may just be to overall numbers. I, I don't know how your comp plan was done or whatever, but... Um, I mean, I've never seen a comp plan similar to like, I like it's not the same upside level of like a sales plan where it's like, right. you know, you have a 90% or $90,000 base and OTE of 200,000 or anything like that. Like usually right. like the base is much higher and it's the variable mix is, is a smaller yeah. percentage. Yeah. Like and I also was, again, just, and then I'm going to turn it back to you for a question. My gut says that in a marketing world, you have several variables for your compensation plan. Pipeline is one of them. Whereas sales, it's just revenue. In yep. most cases, there might be some spiffs or something, but um, 
you, you have multiple things you're trying to touch to get out the door. So yeah, correct. Cool. What else, What any other question for me and, and or did I answer your question sufficiently? If not, I'll re-answer. Yeah, no, no, you did. I, I think I'd like to uh, stick with that, this marketing kind of sales alignment piece of what's the biggest problem you're seeing on the sales side with marketing? Like if you had to say like the most common thing I hear from sales about marketing is X, what would X be? I would say X is messaging, right? And um, and it's it's you know, we talked about a little bit earlier is that marketing comes in with the messaging in one way and sales doesn't do it that way, right? Sales, you know, the best way I can describe it is the more you can talk in case studies and use cases, the more you paint the picture of pain. Yep. Right? Um, and that's the piece where I feel like the messaging um, differentiates between marketing and sales. Uh, and, and sales does it too. Sales loves to talk about what you do, not the pain you solve. And so does marketing. Um, and marketing loves to take it from this high 60,000 foot view, another buzzword I hate. Um, and that's okay. It, we just need to articulate it differently, right? Um, and so that's the piece that I, I see. I think the other place too is that um, both sides have made this mistake of this belief in a buyer's journey. There is no buyer's journey. There's only a buyer's experience. Marketing actually starts the journey. It's a seller's journey that starts with marketing. Yeah. Um, even to the point of, well, what if I'm cold calling? Well, you better deliver a great fucking experience because they're not even on the journey that you like to participate, you know, you like to, to say they are. So that's a big place that I think people miss. And when you start to think about it and you kind of like what you said, you know, well, tell me about a bad experience. How did you do this? You're, what you're talking about is the experience someone has when you bought a piece of software, like you talked about earlier. They yep. didn't know how to, so they went to someone who had what? Experience. Yep. So that's, that's to me a big place where I think there's a, a unintentional disconnect. It's not a... And then because it's unintentional, there's a lot of finger pointing. Yep. I don't, I don't know if you agree or disagree, but. I, I agree. I actually call it, uh, I call it Frankenstein marketing, uh, where it's Ooh. lots of pieces. <laughs> so, Love it. Uh, where it's like, because, and, and really I do that with the messaging, because what I, one of the big things when you're early stage like that, it's a tie like all the way back to how we started. It's like, if you don't nail that to begin with, you don't have everyone coming from the same place it creates this weird Frankenstein marketing where your website says one thing, uh, your ads are saying something else because th th we don't have the guideline of like, here's how we do messaging. Here's the value props. Here's the pain points we talk about. Sales is saying something else completely on the phone. Uh, they actually sign up. The onboarding emails are completely different. And it's like this completely disjointed experience. And like you said, yeah. the buyer doesn't care like, oh, well, this is the marketing email. So this is why this feels this way and sales is this point of the, it's yeah. one company to them in that experience. And it, it feels very disjointed. Uh, it's you funny, know. you know, I, I heard you say Frankenstein marketing and I had to do a double take because I gravitated to Frankenstein messaging. Okay. <laughs> that's what it feels like, right? Like it, 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 it's saying the same thing I know. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's a, what a great analogy. I like, I wrote that down and I will attribute it to Adam. Um, <laughs> If I could, might go into the, in my newsletter, that'll be a good newsletter subject line. Your Frankenstein messaging. Yeah. Uh, 
uh well that's cool man like that this has been really fun um even without my partner uh scott i hope you're feeling better buddy thanks for letting us uh you know poke fun at you at your expense when you're not here even though i do it when you are here uh love to you my brother scott uh adam uh where can people get a hold of you right like they need your help with their frankenstein marketing and messaging they need to solve this pain like that's a picture yep. of pain by the way frankenstein messaging picture of pain we know what that means uh, you can reach out to me uh linkedin is probably the easiest spot uh you can shoot me an email at adam at curtis.co uh yeah. curtis c-u-r-t-i-s c-u-r-d-i-s yes he is in dog c-u-r-d-i-s yes right uh, yeah, co. yeah okay. shoot me an email or yeah find me on linkedin or twitter I'm on yeah it's uh on linkedin it's adam goyette g-o-y-e-t-t-e g-o-y-e-t-t-t-e uh adam one of the best sales conversations with uh, mostly marketing leader. Uh, although I'm very impressed you had a 40 person sales team. So thanks <laughs> yeah. for making your time and thanks for your flexibility uh, on, on how this went down today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It was a blast. All right, good to see you, bud. All right, see ya.